out from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes he arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to to each and every one of you. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 has a singular verse that is extremely potent and I would encourage you to make this your devotion for the week and study every single word for it says consequently he speaking of Jesus in his high priestly role he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. We rightly celebrate looking on the past of what Christ has done on the cross, completely paying the price and penalty for our sin once and for all. And we know that he has risen and that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we know that one day he's coming back to take us home. But we don't always think about what he's actively doing right now. And this verse tells us that he is living always to intercede for us. Jesus is continually applying his atonement to a, 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 on our behalf as our mediator. He is always interceding, praying for us. Do you know that Jesus is praying for you continually? He prays for the things that you ought to, the things that you don't, and he prays for you in the times when you won't. He is always praying for you so that your salvation will be brought to completion at the day of Christ. And that is an encouraging truth. We are so glad that you're here to celebrate that truth with us this morning. And if you're visiting with us today, we want to extend a special welcome to you. If you would, go ahead and pull out your worship folder. Hopefully you grabbed one as you walked in. If you didn't, there's some at the back table in the back of the room. 
Inside that worship folder, you'll find all sorts of information about what's going on in the church right now. You'll also find a sheet to take notes on during the sermon. And then you'll find this little check-in card. We would love if you would fill that out for us real quick. Let us know that you're here. You can do it on your phone if you'd like to. You can download our church app um, and fill it out really quickly on that. You can let us know any prayer requests or praises that you have. We love to pray for you, with you, alongside you, and rejoice with you as you share what the Lord is doing in your life. At the end of the service, you can drop this in the white, either white table at the entrances. There's a little slot in the side of the table that you can insert it in. And then we also would encourage you, if you're visiting, to stop by our welcome desk. Maybe you already did. You might have walked past it, but just out these double doors, we have a welcome desk where we can answer any questions that you have. We'd love to meet you and also give you a gift. So we'd encourage you to stop by at the end of the service. Now, we are super excited because we have some new folks who are with us in our church today, and that is the Bergen family. Jared Bergen, we just hired, and uh, he's our outreach director in Goodfield. And so he and his wife, Sarah, their kids, Wendy and Oliver, are here with us today. So I'd encourage you to meet them. You should see their picture inside your worship folder. If you don't remember what they look like, but I encourage you to find them, to say hi to them, welcome them. They just moved here literally yesterday from Wisconsin. So make them feel at home, love on them, and show them our new castle hospitality. But we are so excited that they're here with us and endeavoring in ministry, co-laboring with us together. We also have a resource of the month to recommend to you. The resource of the month is Church Membership by Pastor Jonathan Lehman. It's one of the, part of the Nine Marks uh, Ministries books. And obviously it's about church membership. So what do you think about that? What does church membership mean to you? Is it something that's a necessity? Or is it something do you think is optional? Or maybe you're in the middle. Maybe you have a sense that, yeah, I, I think church membership's important but I don't really want to make a big deal about it. If that's you, then this book's for you. This book is so concise, so simple to read, yet so potent and powerful. It's such a good resource to understand what church is all about and what church membership is about. Church is not a volunteer organization. Church is not a social club where we get together uh, centered around common interests. It's not a service provider where you come to get a fill-up for the week. So what is church? What does it mean to be a member of the church? Does the Bible speak to that? Well, you have to get the book to find out. And at the end of the service, you can go out these doors here, and we have a whole resource center, but there's a table chock full of these books, and they are free. We want you to take them and we want you to grow and learn. And this is a very timely resource because it's what we've been preaching on. It's the, uh, at the heart of the message that you're going to hear about from Pastor Scott this morning. And so this is just a great supplemental tool. Even if you're already a member of the church, I bet you that this book would still sharpen you and help you understand why you are a member and why you should be a member. So no matter where you're at on the spectrum, highly encourage this book as a sharpening tool for you. Before we continue singing, would you please bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Jesus, you are our great high priest. We are so thankful that you are always continually living to make intercession for us before the Father. There is only one mediator between God and man, and that is you. And you are our great king, and it is a privilege to worship you. It is a privilege to serve you, Lord. 
And I pray this morning that you would help us to fix our gaze upon you, that you would help uh, eliminate distractions, protect us from distractions so that we might um, honor you, that we might serve you sacrificially as we love our brothers and sisters gathered here together this morning, as we sit underneath the preaching of your word, as we uh, pray as one body together and affirm the truths of prayer, as we uh, pray with um, our elder Chad later this morning. Just help us all to be uh, concentrating and um, fixing our eyes upon you. We ask for your help and blessing over this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you are able, would you please stand as we continue to worship our Savior and thank him for becoming impoverished on our behalf that we might become rich. treasure we possess in Jesus Christ our Lord. His blood our ransom and defense, His glory our reward. The sum of all created things is worthless in compare. For our inheritance is Him angels declare how free and costly was the love displayed upon the cross while we were dead in untold sin the sovereign purchased us the will of God the
His praises. One day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is He. The Word became flesh and the light shined among us, His glory revealed. Living He loved me, dying He saved me, buried He carried my sins far away. Rising He justified, freely forever, one day He's coming, oh glorious day. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on a tree. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected. Bearing our sins, my Redeemer is he. The hand that healed nations stretched out on a tree. And took the nails for me Living He loved me Dying He saved me Buried He carried My sins far away Rising He justified Freely forever One day He's coming Oh glorious day Oh glorious day him no longer one day the stone rolled away from the door then he arose over death he had conquered now is ascended my lord evermore death could not hold him the grave could not keep him from rising again Yeah. 
Well, good morning, Newcastle. It's good to see you all today. I will uh, go ahead and dismiss our nursery-age children through kindergarten to make their way to Children's Church. If they go to the back of the room, they'll be uh, directed from there. Well, if you had a chance to join us at our congregational meeting uh, last Sunday night, you were reminded of so many things that we as a church have to be thankful for. But I also want to add to that list this morning and uh, take the opportunity today to recognize one of our uh, staff members for her 25th year of work or her 25-year anniversary of work here at Newcastle. For two and a half decades, Lori Fawn has served as our church secretary. You think about loyalty and perseverance and just showing up Uh, every week for work. That's Lori. She is literally the voice of Newcastle, as she's been on the receiving end of uh, phone calls to the church office for so many years. I reached out to uh, several of our uh, staff members and her co-workers this week and asked them what they appreciate most about Lori. And they described Lori as a prayer warrior. She's always willing to listen She's a great encourager. She's always patient despite constantly being interrupted. She's a friend to many and the ultimate team player. And last but not least, I guess everybody needs to try her chocolate chip pumpkin bars. So Lori was in first service. I don't think, um, I don't think she's in this service, but would you all join me in just showing our appreciation to Lori Fawn? Well, we love celebrating work anniversaries here. We also have been looking forward to, to um, this Sunday for another reason, and that is um, that you all, as members of our church, have the opportunity to um, give great encouragement and hearty affirmation to one of our brothers, uh, Chris Metalman. As you all know well by now, the elders unanimously have recommended Chris for formal ordination to become one of our new elders. We announced this decision to you a couple weeks ago, and uh, along with that, it invited any feedback or comments from any of you, Um, and so we appreciate those over the last couple weeks, and today you have the opportunity to vote to uh, affirm this calling. You have two options for doing this. There's paper ballots in all of the worship folders, and you can, it asks two questions on it. Are you a member at Newcastle? And do you affirm the elders call to Chris? You can fill that out and drop that uh, in one of the ballot boxes on either door on your way out, or you can text to vote. Uh, Either method is fine. If you uh, decide to text to vote, the instructions are on the slide and they're also in your worship folder. So if you wanna wait until after service uh, today to vote, that's fine. We're gonna tabulate votes 
uh, after second service and you will get an email in your inbox this afternoon with, um, with uh, the announcement. So thanks again to all of you for your encouragement to Chris and Amanda and his family over the last couple of weeks. I'm sure that they've, they've enjoyed hearing from you and we look forward to welcoming Chris on our uh, elder team. So with that, would you uh, join me in prayer now? Well, Father, we are grateful to call upon you today as our creator, our sustainer, and the giver of life. We humbly recognize our complete dependence on you for all things that pertain to life and godliness. Your strength is made perfect in our weakness, and, and we are literally nothing without you. As our church gathers today to worship you through song and prayer and teaching, we ask that you would lead and guide us. We ask uh, you that the saints would be edified today and that you would be praised and honored above all. Our Newcastle folks have so many reasons uh, to call out to you in prayer today. Some are pleading for your healing mercies for uh, physical ailments that they may have. Others are um, beset by sin, which can so easily entangle us. And, and some may be experiencing great victories in their walk with you today. We just ask that wherever we find ourselves today, would you meet us with the truths of your word and with the love of our brotherhood here. We also uh, thank you for the recent hire of Jared Bergen, as Tyson just made mention of. And, and um, as he begins his new outreach director role, we pray that you would prepare he and his family for this role. We just pray that you'd bless them as they uh, move and settle into Goodfield this weekend. We're thankful they're in our uh, church service today, and we just pray that our church would um, welcome them with open arms into our congregation and, and get to know them, this family better. We also want to pray for our care and discipleship pastoral candidate, Josh Gerber, and, and his wife, Kelly. We pray that uh, as they wait on, their, on our final affirmation of his uh, call to Newcastle over the course of the next week, that you'd strengthen them and continue to guide them through your call on their lives. Calvary Baptist Bible Church in Peoria has been our prayer partner this week, and we thank you for their spiritual influence in their uh, community, Peoria. We do pray for Pastor Gary's physical health and, and pray for healing in this regard. We ask that you give him strength and, and stamina for the work ahead, along with his leadership team. We pray that uh, you would just continue to show your favor on, on uh, this congregation as they shine your light in their neighborhoods and in their community. We're thankful to focus this past week as well, praying specifically for Gabby and Matteo Alzati, serving in San Francisco. And just last Sunday, we were so blessed to hear from several of, the, of our students who made the the mission trip this uh, a few weeks ago to San Francisco, and they, they talked about how instrumental that trip was uh, in their own spiritual growth, and so we thank you for that. We pray for the Elzadis now. We pray that uh, the Bible studies that they had throughout the summer would uh, bear much fruit. We pray that you would just continue to strengthen and provide for this young couple as they uh, daily minister in a huge city that desperately needs you. So now we look forward to opening your word and hearing from you. We, we ask that you would guide Pastor Scott as he teaches us today from Ephesians 4. May we as your church grow in our understanding of your timeless word. We pray that you'd grow us and stretch us as you see fit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
If you're able, please stand as we sing and affirm the solas of the gospel together and with great thanksgiving. on what we've just sung together there. I don't know if you've noticed this morning as we've sung through many of these songs, there is a common theme of the power of God that's on display in the work of sinners like us. We sang there in that last song that it is by the power of God that we have been made new, that apart from him we have nothing, we are nothing, and that's why we need his grace because of that we can say glory, glory.
glory to God alone. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's prepare for the reading of God's Word. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, have no fear. We have two of our buffest men in the church who are carrying those heavy Bibles, and they'll make their way to the back. So throw your hand up in the air. They'd be more than delighted to get one into your hands so that you can follow along with us as we read this morning. Well, it's been a few weeks since we uh, have been in Ephesians uh, chapter 4. I'm very thankful for the ministries of uh, Pastor Josh Gerber and Pastor Jay Lennington, who have served us so well over the last few weeks as we've taken a few weeks off and had uh, some uh, just really helpful teaching from uh, some different portions of Scripture. So I thought it would be helpful before we begin to just remind you of the context of what we've been studying for the last several months here in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we have studied for several months chapters one through, three of, uh, one through three of Ephesians, which really reminds us about how God establishes the body of Christ, how God is in the business of saving and redeeming individual uh, broken people to bring them into a community. And chapters four through six is going to really build off of that on how God works to build up the body of Christ. Those who have been saved, who have been brought into this new family, this new community together, how then are we called to live? And he's going to use several sections here in the second half of this letter to tell us that. He's going to use that uh, euphemism for, for walking. This is now how you walk, how you live out your life. And so the first of those here has been in the opening 16 verses of chapter 4 where he's really calling for believers to now walk in their new identity through unity in a manner worthy of their calling. And that looks like, in verses 1 through 6, having the right attitude that helps cultivate unity in the church. How it is preserved amongst the uh, believers who come from diverse backgrounds, but understanding we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And in verses 7 to 10, we see how God gives gifts that are used to help preserve the unity of the church. Gifts that are meant to serve and free people for the work of ministry in the church. God uses those to build up his body. And then here in verses 11 to 16, which will be the focus of our meditation together this morning, we see the people that are needed to cultivate this unity. What is it that God is calling each and every one of us to so that we can help be a part of this work that God is doing in a local church congregation. And so I'm excited to unpack that with you this morning. There's a lot to it. And so we're going to jump right in. So if you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to invite you one more time to, to stand and honor the public reading of God's word as we read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. This is Paul writing, and Paul writes in verse 11, and he, that being Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, we are speak the truth in love. 
We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word for us to meditate on this morning. You may be seated. Let's pray as we entrust our time to him now. Our Father, we come now just asking for humble hearts that you would um, really prepare soft, fertile soil so that the gospel truth would penetrate our lives today. We desire for this to change us, to motivate us, to encourage us, and as we've sung about this morning, really to empower us for the work of building up the body. That is something, Lord, that is God-sized, it is supernatural, and that is why we need you today. So please help make this clear to us. Uh, Use the ministry of your word to bring about changing your people today for your glory, we ask. Amen. Now, if you were to uh, venture to the south side of our building, if you were to go down the hallways here and you were to make your way to the far south classroom, which many of you have no doubt done before, uh, you would notice within the last year that you would find a, a visual history of Newcastle Bible Church. Very cool, very well done. But you would find uh, an array of Polaroids that show you how the church began as a uh, simple one-room schoolhouse. You would find then flyover pictures that show you this large church campus that has expanded over the decades You would even find a postcard from 1948 inviting members to the final worship service of Newcastle Bible Church before it would have to close its doors, which we now smile at and we say, thanks, Lord, that that was not the end of the story. Just a few minutes in that room would quickly reveal that Newcastle Bible Church has seen a lot of growth over the years. A building that size has grown considerably over the past few decades. A church that has seen numerous building campaigns in an attempt to meet the growing ministry needs of this church. Which again is a moment for us just to pause and say, thanks Lord, right? That we have been a part of something like this movement. But as we know, Newcastle Bible Church is not the only one with building campaigns. In fact, God himself has a very clear plan for how he seeks to grow and to build up the body of Christ. As we look at our passage this morning, we're going to see that his building campaign is that every member is essential to building up the body of Christ. That every single member has a role and a part to play in his building program. This point reminds us of the old cliche that the church is certainly not a building, but it is a people. And while that might sound cliche to us, it is the very idea that Paul has in mind this morning in Ephesians chapter 4. And the amazing thing is, this building campaign is the work of every single person. It's the work of every single member. It is the work that is building towards the ultimate goal, which is that Christ might fill all things, that Christ would be all things, right? Verse 10 speaks to that. And you will see that language on display throughout our passage this morning. Paul's point and his great desire is that every born-again believer 
recognize that they have an essential role to play in God's building campaign. This is the reason that our elders have prayerfully adopted this very theme that comes from these very verses we're going to look at this morning for our church family for the coming year. Because we believe passionately that this is God's design for his church. This is how we as a people grow in Christ's likeness and in God's plan for us. And so my desire for us this morning is to quickly but clearly show you what this building plan looks like. And it all begins when every member in Christ's church is being prepared for the work of the ministry. When every single member is being prepared for the work of the ministry. We see this in verses 11 to 12 and the context comes from a few week, weeks ago where we realize these, these gifts that Christ has given to the church uh, include key spiritual leaders. He talked about four uh, offices or four groups of people. We learned about the apostles and prophets there in verse 11, that those were essentially foundational uh, offices to help with the establishment of the church in the first century. You can look back at chapter 2 verse 20 to get a little bit more of an idea of that, but as those foundational offices, they were necessary back then, but are not necessary now. They've faded away with time. The evangelists, we can understand to be those who are essentially the, the church planters. What do evangelists do? They go and they share the gospel. They seek to make disciples, to bring people into the family of God. And when there is enough of them, they become a part of a local church. So we call these the church planters, essentially. Those who are going to make disciples and help create these new communities of believers. Which then leaves us with the final role of the shepherd teacher, or as we commonly refer to it as the pastor teacher. Paul uses that shepherd language to illustrate the nature of this work. Pastors are called to, to teach, to guide, to protect, and lead those who have been entrusted to their care. And so the church is built up, first of all, when all of its members are being prepared by gifted shepherds. Verse 12 makes it very clear that, uh, that one of the key roles of the pastor is not to do all the ministry work. And that might sound interesting to some of us. Our upbringing might have taught us otherwise because you're like, that doesn't sound right. After all, what are we paying these guys to do? They're the paid professionals. They went to school for years in order to do this. Why am I expected to do this work? But God is not, church, given the pastors to the church to do all the teaching to do all the serving, to do all the hospitality, all the visitations, all the diapers, all the counseling, or, or all the outreach. In fact, Paul says the successful shepherd, the good shepherd, is the one who properly prepares his local flock for the work of the ministry. How does God build his church? By gifting it with spiritually mature men who use their gifts of teaching and leading to mobilize the church of God, the people of God, to carry out that work as gifted saints. After all, verse 7 makes clear that Jesus has gifted all believers with what is necessary, with a portion of his grace to help carry out that ministry work within that local church body. God has done this for the good of other believers and to unify his church. And most of you might be thinking to yourself, well, wait a second, Pastor Scott. 
verse 12 says that the pastor teachers are there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Well, I'm not a saint. And I would say, if you are a Christian, then absolutely you are. This is where we've gotten it wrong over the years where we think to ourselves, well, saint means some type of a high-ranking, spiritually mature, highly accomplished individual as if we are achieving sainthood. But the reality is that's not how Paul or the Bible uses the term saint. Saint is actually one of the favorite terms of Paul to describe those who are holy ones, those who have been set apart by God for his purposes. That's the very meaning of that term. And one of those purposes is to be an active, engaged servant who is involved in the work of the ministry in the church. The problem is that many of us don't recognize this. We've allowed the church to become a place that we go to or a thing that we do or a thing that we watch. Whether for good intention or not, we've become consumers who sit on the sidelines rather than actively engage in the ministry work. It reminds me of Bud Wilkinson, who was a former uh, legendary football coach at the University of Oklahoma back in the day from 1947 to 1963. And he was asked in an interview one time, how would you describe the game of football to somebody else? And Bud had this response to say, he says, football is 22 boys on the field in desperate need of rest being watched by 40,000 people in the stand in desperate need of exercise. (laughs) And we laugh at that, right? And we should. But I think most of us know that the church is not too far from that reality a lot of times. I want to be fair here. There are several of you who are here in this room who are gifted saints who God has been using powerfully and mightily here at Newcastle. I just want to pause and say thank you. The reason you say no to ministry stuff right now is not because you're not involved in any, or you're not uh, involved at all. It's because you're involved in too much, right? You understand that there's so much good things happening. You want to be involved and you can't in all of it. And so we just want to acknowledge that and say thank you. We, we, We see you. We love you. We appreciate it so much. But there are others of you who, honestly, it's been a while, if at all, since you've stretched your spiritual muscles. You need to to get in the game. You need to engage, and you have spiritual shepherds who stand ready and excited to help prepare you to know what are those giftings, how can you use them, where can you use them, and we can train you how to actually exercise those in the church, wherever it may be. After all, If Jesus had sacrificed so much for us, why would we not freely give all to him, right? I mean, Christ loves the church. He gave up his very life for the church. As such, the church should not be something that is periphery to us. It should not be something that we do when it's convenient. No, as Christians, our life should be built around this community, this is, this is the priority for Christ and how we grow and how he builds us up together. Every member here is an essential part of this building campaign. But it's not just about being equipped for the work of the ministry. The body of Christ is also built up when every member is growing towards greater spiritual maturity. 
growing towards greater spiritual maturity. We see this in verse 13 where Paul's desire for every saint is that they are constantly growing up. This is not just something that's a one and done type of thing, but there's, there is work that is going on here. Paul gives three nuances of this in verse 13. He talks about uh, achieving to the, the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. He talks about mature manhood that we're striving for. He talks about uh, growing up into the measure, the fullness of the likeness of Christ. Three aspects with one common goal, greater spiritual maturity. And this obviously happens when we are actively engaged in ministry, but also we do so as we are strengthening the body as a whole. As we are equipped for ministry together through God's word, we become united in the Christian faith. We celebrate the, the common union that we have together through the blood of Christ. We start to mature in God's design, which ultimately gives the world a right picture of who Christ really is. Paul's concern here is that on the one hand, we would grow out of childishness. When Christ saves you, he, he brings you into the family as a spiritual infant. But he, like any good father, does not leave you to just stay that way. No, his desire and his design for you is that you are constantly growing to the next level of maturity. He wants you to grow up, to go from a spiritual infant to a spiritual child, to go from a spiritual child to a spiritually hormonal teenager, right? And then to a spiritually mature young adult and to a spiritually mature man. Those of you with children in this room can relate to the joys and pain of your child growing up, can't you? You know, kids, If you, there's kids in here in the room, if You've probably seen this with mom or dad where they're trying to like maybe put shoes on you in the morning and they start to realize that shoe doesn't fit on you the way it did two weeks ago, right? And they're frustrated and they're like, why do you keep growing? Now that expression in the moment, while it seems like a frustration to you, is actually in their mind, it's a joy because they recognize you're not supposed to stay a child. You're supposed to grow up. When mom and dad says, man, would you just stop growing? It's not because they don't like seeing you grow up. They know that that's what God wants. It's the design. And so God desires this so deeply for us that we would grow into greater maturity. In verse 13, Paul says the desire is to grow up into mature manhood. Not just into manhood, but mature manhood. Mature describes something that is, that is fully grown or it's at its end or as I like to think about in the world of fruit, perfectly ripe. This is the time of year up in Michigan where peaches are awesome. If you've ever been up to Michigan this time of year, peaches, picking those fresh peaches are amazing. They're at their peak. They're at their ripest. You go in July, you go in June, not so much, but now there is nothing sweeter and more delightful than a peach that has hit its full ripeness. Church, God's design for you is that you are growing towards that in your faith. And so I ask you, I wonder what steps of growth would you be able to see if you were to compare your life now from the way it was six months ago or a year ago or five years ago for that matter? Do you see incremental growth of how the Lord is using you and growing you in greater maturity or are you just seeing yourself just getting older and stagnant? 
keeping in mind all the while that the goal is not some level of personal advancement, but really growing into Christ's likeness. Paul's desire is that we, the more we serve one another and grow alongside one another, the more we look like Jesus. Too often we get this wrong and we start to shift our gaze horizontally, right? You know what I mean by that? We start to play the, the comparisons game and we start to look around and we say, man, I'm just not as mature as so-and-so in the church. I'm not as mature as so-and-so in my family. I just really wish that I could be more like so-and-so. Or the reverse is true and we say to ourselves, you know, I'm doing pretty good in comparison to this person. You know, I'm at least thankful that I'm not doing as poorly as this person over here. All the while, we forget to ourselves that God has never called us to compare ourselves to one another because the ultimate goal is not the way we look in comparison to others. It's how we look in comparison to his son. God's concern for you is not that you would look more like your mom or your dad or your small group leader or your friend or your pastor. God's concern is that you would continually look more like his son. Church, if this section is teaching us anything, it is that God cares for far more about who you are becoming than what you are producing. God's greatest concern is always your heart. What is going on in here? Are you growing to look more like his son? Your works and your service are appreciated. They are valued. But if your character is not maturing and God is not growing you in greater dependence upon him, then something is missing. Something is of no use. It's of no value. So why is this maturity so important? Well, because the body of Christ is built up when every member is avoiding the dangers of doctrinal instability. Paul transitions in verse 14 saying that the reason we strive for spiritual maturity is so that we are no longer like children. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, it go, he goes on to clarify to remain childish in your maturity leaves you susceptible to all kinds of spiritual and doctrinal dangers. You are unstable as a ship being tossed to and from at sea, something Paul knew very well about in Acts 27. Many of you ladies studied it at the end of last year, right? This idea that Paul, when he was being transferred to Rome, he experienced what it was like to be tossed and turned and to be cast aside on the sea. But notice the expectation embedded in this verse. He says, we are to no longer be children. Meaning this is who you once were, but you are now no longer expected to be. As you grow in maturity, you help protect both yourself and the body from the dangers of doctrinal instability which seek to confuse. The threat to immature Christians is being overcome by the storms of false teaching and false hope. Perhaps you've been in a storm where the wind continually seems to shift directions on you and come from every which direction. Or perhaps you've been at the beach before when a wave suddenly hits you unexpectedly when you weren't ready for it. Such situations are disorienting and they leave you dazed and confused and such is the case with false teaching. 
It hits you when you're least expecting it, and it leaves you feeling confused, feeling like you thought you knew the truth, but now this sounds like it could be true as well. You know, I I used to think that maybe the Bible's view of, of marriage was right, but maybe it is outdated. Maybe it was just for a first century audience. And maybe what the culture is saying now about uh, homosexual marriages, it, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe I'm just misreading it. And you see how that subtle messaging quickly turns the way that you think. It's not hard to see how the winds of doctrine seek to captivate or take captive those who are immature and gullible in faith and church. This is why we need the truth. In the midst of instability that is always changing, the wind is always changing, the waves are always changing. That is why we need a firm foundation of truth that we stand upon because the truth does not change. This is why the body is built up when we are maturing together in our understanding of the scriptures. We are striving to avoid the, the dangers that seek to deceive so that we're not carried away by human cunning or, or craftiness and un, untrustworthy schemes. You see, it's one thing to be able to identify this type of false teaching. It's another thing to spot the way our culture seeks to twist and turn the truth in such a way that it still sounds good, but is incredibly dangerous. We must be on guard for the messages and the ideologies that surround us in our families, the ideologies of individualism that seeks to tell you that your value and your identity actually come from within you. That you should just follow your heart's desire because that will never lead you astray. Or perhaps you've heard it before that God just wants you to be happy. God just wants you to be happy. And so if it's something that makes you happy, it has to be of God. So do it. All the while forgetting the fact that God's greatest concern for us is not our happiness, but our holiness. And properly understanding that when we are operating according to God's standards of holiness, it is produced for our greatest happiness. These are things that can sound so good on the surface, but will lead astray any who are not prepared. And yes, church, this is a community effort that we must be growing in together. Christ's body is stronger when its members are growing in greater spiritual understanding together. And finally, the body of Christ is built up when every member is working sacrificially to maintain relational unity. When every single member is working sacrificially by the grace of God to maintain and preserve relational unity. Paul brings this full circle in verse 15 where he helps us remember that the overarching goal of this section is unity. To walk in unity, preserve unity, cultivate unity. And as Paul draws this section to a close, he wants, us to, wants to remind us that walking in unity is hard work. In fact, it requires effort. It requires intentionality. It requires sacrifice. And that is exactly what love is. Love is by definition and by nature sacrificial. Where there is not sacrifice, there is not love. Because love seeks to put the interests of others above your own. Love is the setting aside and laying down of your own ambitions for the eternal good of somebody else. 
So what does that love look like for the church? What role does every member have to play in this effort? Well, verse 15 makes it clear that one of the ways that we sacrificially preserve unity is by speaking truth in love. By speaking truth in love. The error of verse 14 that seeks to confuse and deceive is combated here with truth, with gospel truth, the very truth that Paul spent three chapters of, the first three chapters of this letter defending, reminding us of what has brought us unity in Christ, this gospel truth. And it would seem that Paul uh, most immediately, again, this, is, this, this idea of speaking truth and love has the idea of also walking in truth, but I think he has most immediately that idea of speaking truth in light of verse 14, right? How do we combat error? With truth. How do we help those in the church who are confused by sin and carried away by the dangers of deceit? We speak the truth in love. That's why we correct our brother or sister when we see something not right in their life. We pursue them. We go after them. If we see something that they're doing that is not fitting to their profession of faith, love says you go to them. You help them because you know this is for their good. You don't go in judgment. You don't go in punishment. You go out of love. Is that hard? Absolutely. But is it necessary? Without a doubt. You see, what often holds us back from speaking the truth in love is not love. It's often a subtle form of indifference and hatred. Because if we truly know what's good for this individual, then we will speak the truth to them. Even if it's painful to us, even if it's hard, we go after them because we know this is for their good. Because love lays down personal interest for the eternal good of others. And as we speak the truth in love, Christ's church is built up. But we also see in verse 16 that this sacrificial work also includes serving together in love. Serving one another in love. Paul here describes a body that is joined together uh, that is firmly held together. That term for, for joined together. We think about in our culture to build uh, buildings with brick and, and stone. We have like mortar and things that will help those things weld together. But in the ancient world, they didn't have those things. And so they would have to shape and fashion stone so that they just fit together perfectly like little Lego pieces back in the day, right? In order to fit together the way they're supposed to. And that idea of being held together is the idea that uh, somebody like puts together a, a, a nice closing argument in a lawyer's case, right? That you put everything together so it's all perfectly there and makes a perfect case for what you're trying to do. It's held together. It's strong. That's what the effort of the church is, to be joined and held together. And how does that happen? When every member, as he says here in verse 16, each Part is working properly, i.e., doing its work, doing its part. Church, all of you have a duty to serve one another. You have a responsibility to serve one another. 
means using your gifting to serve the ministries both inside and outside of this church to grow in maturity as you seek to help our people stay on the path of doctrinal purity to speak gospel truth to one another as counselors of God word, God's word and as those who carry the burdens of one another and pray for one another. This is what Christ has called you to as a part of the church. It's huge and supernatural. And this is what it looks like when every part is doing its role. The whole body works as God designed it. I'm reminded of the old Cardinals pitcher, Dizzy Dean. Dizzy Dean was a pitcher for the Cardinals from 1932 to 1937. Probably why he was so successful. Sorry, that was a Cardinal joke. But 1937, he was pitching an all-star game, bottom of the third inning. Pitches to Earl Averill, and Earl hits a line drive right back up the middle, and it strikes him on his left foot. Uh, he ended up leaving the game, and uh, doctors evaluated. Later on, they would determine that he had broken his big toe in his left foot. But rather than take sufficient time off to let the injury heal, uh, Dean and his coach decided that they would just push on for the remainder of the season. And to deal with the pain, Dean compensated by altering his delivery so he didn't have to push off of his toe as much. He, he decided to just tweak enough things so that he could get through the season. And what do you think ended up happening? More injuries. His body started doing things that it wasn't supposed to do. His shoulder started to put more strain on it than it was supposed to do. And what you ended up with was a man who was a shell of the former person he used to be. Having won 133 games in his first five and a half seasons in the majors, Dean would win just 17 more after this injury. He was forced into early retirement in 1941 at the young age of just 31 years old. Church, every member is essential to building up the body of Christ. When one part is not working properly and as God has designed it to, the rest of the body suffers the effect. Church Christ has given us a gift in Newcastle Bible Church, a local body that reflects the work of his universal body. And so I call you this morning to rejoice in and commit to the community that we have been gifted in Christ. It's a call for many of us to, to get off of the sidelines and to get into the game. To recognize that each of us has a role to play in this uh, building program that God has for this local body of Christ. And it begins, as Tyson was saying earlier from the, the book that we're recommending, it begins by really saying, I want in. Let me, I want to be, I want to partner with the work of this local church. I want to be a member of this church and then not just being a part, but if you're already in that membership, to joyfully receive those new people who are coming in, knowing that as you do so, you are committing to help one another grow in Christ. You are committing to serve one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, carry the burdens of one another, counsel one another. Yes, Scripture speaks clearly. We are responsible, all of us, to one another, to do these very things. 
And if we get this right, imagine, church, imagine for a moment what God might do through Newcastle Bible Church in Central Illinois. If his body is operating the way that he designed it to, man, some of our most exciting days are ahead of us, not behind us. And as we commit to one another, it is a time for us to also remember and rejoice in our common salvation, which is exactly what communion seeks to do. I'm going to invite the band to start coming on stage here as we're going to prepare for our time of communion this morning. But this is where we have to remember that communion, church, is a time to celebrate our common union with Christ. We share a common meal that reflects the, the common salvation that we share. This word actually for communion comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, which describes the cup as participation in the blood of Christ and the bread as participation in the body of Christ. And that word for participation there is that famous Greek word that we're, many of us are familiar with, koinonia, which means fellowship. That means that the Lord's Supper is an expression of our communion or our fellowship, not just with Christ, but also with his people. And as so, it is a reminder that what we are about to do is far more than just some individual expression of our faith, as if this is just about my personal time. No, this is, this is a community meal. This is why we don't just do this in our homes. We come together. We do this as a church body in which we remember the same body that was broken on our behalf and rejoice in the same blood that covers our sins together. The sacrifice of Jesus is what unites us and makes this meal so special with one another. And so I would ask you this morning, if you would, go ahead and take that, that cup that you hopefully got on the way in. If you didn't get one, we can make sure you get one. You can grab one. We can get our ushers to maybe bring some around to you. We want to make sure that you're prepared, give you plenty of time to do so. But as you are preparing yourself and your, your mind and your heart for our time of communion this morning, just remember that participation in this meal is no small matter. In fact, Paul warns the church in Corinth not to partake of this meal in an unworthy manner. And you may ask yourself, well, what does it mean to participate in an unworthy manner? Does that, that mean that my life has to be uh, at, at a certain level of spiritual maturity before I'm able to do this? If I got any sin in my life, uh, does that mean I can't partake? Well, if you have unconfessed sin in your life, it would certainly would be a good, good time to, to confess that and to, to pour that out before the Lord, of course. But this is also what we have to remember that communion, if communion was based on your personal worthiness, then, then none of us would be able to partake, would we? It's kind of the point of Christ's shed blood and his broken body. It's the fact that all of us are unworthy sinners who are broken and needy. So what is this unworthy manner? Well, in the context of the church in Corinth, it was to participate while also contributing to division among God's people. That's why Jesus himself encourages us, even in Matthew 5, that if you are offering your worship to the Lord and realize that your brother has something against you or you have something against your brother, there's strife between you. Go and be reconciled to them, right? Don't delay. Do it immediately. And so if that is you and you know that there's strife and division, that you are contributing with others in this church, seek reconciliation first before you participate, because to participate in a meal that expresses your unity while also contributing to the disunity of the body is immensely dangerous. 
This is about our common salvation that we have been gifted in Christ. So go first and work sacrificially to maintain that relational unity with others. And so now I would encourage you as you peel back that top layer of your, your cup there, you'll reveal that little piece of bread, that little wafer. It's a reminder that this, this little piece of bread that is so small in size but is immensely important in value. It symbolizes the body of Christ that was beaten on our behalf, bearing the punishment that we ourselves deserved. It's the body that we all benefit from now together. And so we now do this as the Lord commanded, that we take and we eat and we proclaim the Lord until he comes. So as we do so, let's do so in remembrance of him. Amen. Now as you do so, prepare that cup by peeling back that next layer there to reveal that juice. And as you are doing so, be reminded, church, be reminded of the blood of Jesus that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. That Jesus himself said this blood represented the new covenant in his blood. This is the promise that we can be made right with God by faith. That we are trusting in Christ and his righteousness alone. That his blood has paid for our sin. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so we now have the privilege to partake in this symbol that unites us in our common faith in Jesus together. So let's unite ourselves as we partake in his blood. Amen. When you do things like this, such moments should be cause for great celebration in the church. And that's what we're going to do as we close out our time together this morning. And so I'm going to invite you to stand again one last time as we unite our voices together. And let's sing this song and let it be a prayer today that we might never cease to praise God for this great salvation that we have all together been gifted in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's say, let's pray. Mark the 
Hopefully you notice there in that song the, the importance of that. In order for our song and our praise to come, it has to be that our hearts are so consumed with Christ, right? That is the motivation in all of this. If we, if we forget that, we miss the point of all of this. God's concern is that our hearts would be so consumed with Christ that everything is a natural just pouring out of our lives as an offering, a fragrant expression of worship to him. That's what he has called us to. Friends, my, my great desire for you today and this week has been that you would grow to love Christ and his church. After all, Christ has given his very life to the church. He laid down his life for the church. He loves it dearly. And now he calls you to also likewise love his church, to sacrificially give yourself for the sake of his bride. I know that's the desire of each of the elders here at Newcastle as well. It's our desire to help you see God's plan for the church as he has always intended for it to be. Not as a burden, but as a freedom that joyfully releases you to go and to serve his great name. Not just here on this church, in our ministries here on campus, but even more importantly, out in the watching world so that they may see Jesus look good. That's God's design. We'd love to talk to you more about this. So let's do this together, right? Like, let's let this be a moment of 
ministry moving forward for Newcastle Bible Church. So we are all in on this commitment together. And we'd love to discuss with you what that next step looks like. If it's becoming a member, awesome. Let's talk about that. If you're already a member, you're just not sure where you need to be serving or what your gifting are, great. Let's talk about that. That would be an exciting conversation for us to have a lot of this next week uh, with our elders, with you here at Newcastle. So as we close out our time together this morning, just want to remind you that we are receiving your votes of affirmation for Chris Metalman for our uh, new uh, position here as uh, elder in Newcastle Bible Church. Please submit those here as soon as the worship service is over or as quickly as possible as you can. You can drop the hard copies of that in the boxes at the front or the back of the room. Uh, you can also do so uh, through the via text uh, option as well. Please do so as soon as possible. And as soon as possible, we will let you know what we find out from that. And we just want to say again, church, thank you. You have been such a, a joy to serve, and we're excited for what the Lord has in store for the future as Newcastle Bible Church. So as we close out our time together, we're going to pray together one more time, and we're going to pray that from the great benediction in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. So let's read that together this morning. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all of those who are so consumed with the glory of Christ would say, Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a great week of worship. Amen.